Give him a big hand. Good morning. I'm going to preach a very simple message. I titled it, Driving Under the Influence. I hope that doesn't get me in trouble in the back. What is the definition of under the influence? The definition is to be affected by alcoholic drink or a substance. When we think of the word, we get pictures in our head. We think back to our past before we were saved. We think of someone we know. I'm sure everyone here has bumped into someone at some point in their life that has been under the influence. But people that are under the influence, they stand out. I can remember specifically when I uh, first started working with my father, I would have to drive to a certain part of Atlanta to get a certain material for a tanker truck we have. And it was close to where the Six Flags over Georgia is. And if anyone's familiar with that area, they know it's not the cleanest of areas. And it would be real early in the morning, I would get there sometimes, and you would be able to see people who have been out the night before. And you would see the way they were walking, and you could always tell there was something they were doing, something they were doing in the way they acted. When people are un under the influence, are walking down the street, they have a particular way that they carry themselves. They have a slur in their words. When I saw these people, there was no one had to convince me or tell me where they had been the night before because it was all over them. My challenge to you all this morning is, when we leave church, when we leave these altars, do people know where we have been? When we go to eat after church, do people look at you and notice the difference? When you go back to work on Monday, do people, do you have to explain yourself? Or does your coworkers walk up to you and say, what was it you did this weekend? Because I know the person before this weekend, but now seeing you now, I notice there's something different on you now. What did you do this weekend? What is different about you? See, one of the biggest problems in church is we're going out trying to preach something people actually don't see us living. We preach the love of Jesus Christ, but they don't see it on us. We preach the power, but we have people talking about the power. The Bible talks about the power, and it says the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. What we need are some Christians walking out of church, carrying a fresh encounter on them in their walk and in their talk, in their actions. That way, when people see us, they identify us straight away as someone that's been to church. The moment where we sense his presence, excuse me. You know those moments when you sense the presence of God? You understand those moments are not about us. It's not about what God's trying to do in us. It's about what he's trying to do through us that you would carry something through these services. What are good are these encounters if they're merely just a moment we have in church? What good is a verse that we read in the Bible if the moment we close the Bible, we don't carry that verse outside? What good is a touch of God that you had in worship if that touch of God is just about you feeling emotional and feeling good? 
If you want to get emotional and feel good, pop popcorn and watch Forrest Gump. It does just as good. But we have to understand, God right now is pouring on me and you, not just so that I can feel better in this moment, but he's equipping me, empowering me to take what I have right now outside these church doors, in my community, in my workplace, in my college, in my family, that we are called to effect change. We serve a supernatural God. And we have to be reminded that if we serve a supernatural God, I'm called to walk in the supernatural. That I'm called to actually carry everything that I experience in this church, at these altars, in this book, I'm called to carry everything. Every moment I have wouldn't just be a moment. Every prayer I have wouldn't just be a prayer. How many times so many of us have grown up in the church, we've heard the sermons. What we don't need is just sermons, though. We need to have the encounter, actually have an encounter in the heart. And that encounter would not just impact us in that moment, but it would change us forever. Amen? I'm preaching better than y'all are letting on. That it would change the way we walk and change the way we talk. That we would have to be able to translate what happens in here and take it to a lost and dying world, a lost and dying generation. That's the message of Jesus. The thing about when people are under the influence, it's what's actually happening under the influence. Think about that phrase. In the natural, if someone is under the influence, it changes their walk, it changes their talk, naturally. But the flesh cannot handle the substance. So could that be, when we get under the influence of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God, that we could have so much of Jesus that we, our flesh could not handle it? So where we would normally walk in doubt and fear, but now under the influence, you stumble into faith. So fear and doubt now becomes faith. Where you'd normally walk in lust, you walk in self-control. Where you'd normally walk in whatever the enemy tries to throw it your way, that you understand that the greatest way to defeat your flesh is to get so full of Jesus Christ that he guides your every step. The Bible says the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord, that he could actually order and guide your steps. We have people so under the influence that they used to be fearful. I used to walk in depression and doubt. But now I, when I walk out of church, in the path of depression and doubt, I can't take that path no more. Even if I wanted to. Because now I'm stumbling into joy. I'm stumbling into peace. And what happens is when you get under the influence so much that we could get under the influence of him so much that it would change who we are, that it would change how we walk. Sometimes we hear a message like this and we get excited and passionate. But how many know sometimes we hear these sermons and we walk out and we're caught in a place where you're like, I get what you're saying, Michael, but what does that practically look like? It's easy for you. You're on the stage. It's easy for you to preach about Jesus. But I, I work in an environment where I can't just get up and start preaching about Jesus. What does that look like? Well, let me show you what it says in Galatians. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit yes. is love. Yes. So Galatians tells us the very first fruit of this, someone living empowered by the Spirit of the Lord love. is love. 
Do you understand that the greatest weapon of warfare is love that we have as a church? Think about that. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that all who know him live everlasting life. Think about that. All the weapons God could have used, pleading the blood, the weapons God chose to save all mankind with all his knowledge and all his power was love. Do you understand how powerful the love of Jesus Christ is? We hear it. We try to, we try to fit it in our earthly understanding of what love is. Understand that natural love, earthly love, has boundaries. I love people until they hurt me. I love people until they let me down. I love people that are in my inner circle. See, that's where the love of the world is restricted. But the love of Jesus Christ will push past any boundaries. It doesn't matter where you're from. He will meet you there. We have to understand how powerful that love is. I want to share one more thing on the prodigal son in my, in my closing. A story, I, I, I heard this the other day on a documentary. It wasn't a biblical documentary, it was a historical one, and it really stood out to me. But the prodigal son is a story we've all heard, we all know it. A quick recap, a son leaves his home in rebellion. He just squanders into his inheritance and goes off in sinful pleasure. He ends up in the pig pen, a broken mess. He left the father's house and he went down to Jericho. Jericho was a cursed place and Jerusalem was a blessed place. And now this man is broken and he's devastated and he lost everything. And he says to himself, I will arise and go back to my father's house. I'll go back home. I don't expect him to restore me, but I truly believe that if I could just be a hired servant, just three meals a day and a roof over my head, that would be so much better than what I'm in now. And so he begins his journey home. And now to get this, the Bible says he was a great ways off in Luke 15. And the father saw him, and he began to run to his boy. Question for you. Why did the father run to the son? If you listen, I think I'm going to tell you all something that I didn't know, and I'm pretty sure most of you all never have known. It goes back, and if I pronounce this right, to, to Kazaza. It's a Greek word, and it means the ceremony of shame. Here's what happens. In the Bible's days, if a person messed up a young adult or a teenager, took their inheritance and ran away from home like the son did and blew it all. And remember, he broke his father's heart, he broke the law, and he shamed the village. If he tried to come back, all the elders and all the people from the village would gather around and take an earthen vessel or piece of pottery in hand, and as the boy would get close to the village, all the people knowing what he had done would take that piece of earth in front of him, breaking it into pieces, signifying, as far as we are concerned, you are cut off, you have no right here, you have no place here, you have brought shame here, and you have broken your father's heart. You have broken the law of God. And we warn you, if you come into this village, we will stone you to death. Now, why did the father start running? Because he was saying, I got to get to him with love 
before they get to him with law. I've got to get to him with grace before they get to him with judgment. And the the father ran, the Bible says, and he pulled his robe up. And that was... That was a shameful thing for a man to do, but the father was saying, I'm taking the shame off of you, son, and putting it on me. And he took off running, the Bible says, and he fell on his son and he kissed him. Then he said, bring the best robe. And he put it on him, and it never said anywhere in the Bible where the son took a bath. It never said he just covered the mess. He covered it. And it was a servant's status to have no shoes, but a son would have shoes. And he said, bring the best shoes. Saying, son, I'm giving you the shoes of sonship. I'm covering your past. In other words, I still love you. You still belong. I know you messed up, but I'm restoring you. And then he put the ring on his finger, restoring his gift. Now watch this. When he walks up to the gate with the vessels in their hand ready to smash, He's covered. They can't see anything. He's got shoes of acceptance. He's got the signet ring on. And then the father said, kill the fatted calf. No, I'm not a farmer. I don't pretend to be. I don't know much about farm animals. But I do know one thing. A fatted calf don't get fat overnight. It takes a long period of time to feed this animal. So what the father was saying was, when you weren't noticing me, son, I was noticing you. When you wasn't thinking about me, I was thinking about you. And I was thinking, he's coming home. He's coming home. I'll wait for him because he's coming. What a Savior we serve. Billy Graham said this, it's God's job to judge. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. And it's our job to love. Now, what does the supernatural lifestyle look like? It's love. And watch what the Holy Spirit will do. Now, I believe if we are saved because of the love of Jesus, because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, shouldn't that be the first thing we represent if we represent the love of Jesus Christ? Amen? Now, as everybody stands to their feet, and as the band comes up to play, if you have something you can't fix on your own today, I can stand here today and tell you the power and the love of the Holy Spirit can. He can heal brokenness, and he can heal hurting. And if you're ready for the Holy Spirit to share his influence and control over these situations in your life, I'd ask you to come down to these altars and let us pray. Thank you. Yes, Lord Jesus. Prayer team, come forward at this time. Thank you, Lord Jesus.